Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. So grab your notes, grab your journal, grab your Bible, grab the Community of Hope app, however it is you do this space. Uh, We are going to close down our series today on prayer, 21 Days of Prayer, and uh, we're going to talk about an important topic today. And uh, we have been really laying a lot of track around the idea of prayer. And we've been saying some important things. One of the things we've been saying is simply this, that uh, prayer is to the life of faith what water is to the human body. It is one of the essential elements, the essential components of building and maintaining and experiencing a life with this living God who's made himself available to us. And so the idea in the room is that we would make ourselves available to him. And uh, I think if uh, we were honest in that, in that idea, talking about prayer, that uh, many of us, uh, most of us, if I were to push the football a little bit, I would say all of us struggle in some space with prayer. If you've ever struggled with prayer, can I, can I get a witness? You see it? I, I just think almost that right there, I want to say, let's stand for closing prayer right there. Because many of us know that the struggle is real. And, and so uh, I want to have a conversation about that. And so If you think about it, in the first two uh, weeks in the series, we looked at a very unique, uh, very uh, uh, unique passage of Scripture in the Old Testament buried into the book of Daniel. And last week, Pastor Trevor did a great job, and he brought us back into the New Testament. Today, I want to close our series out. I want to take us into the New Testament, and I want to read a parable to you that Jesus offered to the disciples And the whole undertone of the prayer, or of the parable, is the struggle, the wrestle with prayer. And so uh, I think just even in that, uh, and if you got your Bible or your app, you're going to tune in to Luke chapter 18. And uh, we always encourage people to stand in honor of God's word. God is here by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's stand together. And uh, we're going to look at this parable together and uh, really break it open. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. It's helped me. I think it will help many of us in the room and listening online. So here's God's words for, for us. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And he said, so in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea. Here's a request. Grant me justice against my adversary. Now, for some time, he just refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or I don't care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come and attack me. That's a smart man. (laughs) And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, 
he will see that they get justice, and man, he doubles down, and he says, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Let's uh, pray together. Uh, Lord, uh, this is uh, a parable that if we were honest, uh, all of us, we feel it. Uh, Many of us in this room are challenged by the words of this. And there might even be some in the room or listening online, speaking from the stage, who've wondered sometimes if you hear us. And God, this is a real prayer that we have. And uh, I want to acknowledge that your Holy Spirit is here and that this is an important topic. I want to thank you on behalf of all of the campuses of Community of Hope that Jesus, in your wisdom, in your mercy, you saw fit to tell a story like this and recorded in Scripture. Uh, Because, God, this uh, lays the very challenge before us right in front of us. Uh, So, God, we welcome you into this space, and we ask that you might um, speak an encouraging word so that when you look at us and you look at where we are, you will find faith on the earth. This is our prayer. In Jesus' precious name, and everybody said, amen. So, um, yeah, this is uh, one of what we would like to call, for those of us who communicate, this is one of those thorny passages of Scripture. Uh, it's not one that is often pray, uh, preached on because it, it just lays the tension of what we so often feel sometimes as human beings just on the bottom shelf. Uh, I think this, like I said, um, many of us, most of us, all of us will, will wrestle uh, with this. And, and I, I was thinking about this as a way to even begin to get into the content of this material. Um, a, a lot of us can connect with this story in a way uh, when it deals with the tension of prayer uh, or elongated lapses of time between prayer and answer and all this stuff. Because so oftentimes, if we think of it, our relationship with God mirrors our relationship or resembles in some ways our relationships with other human beings. And those are always a wrestle, and there's always a tension uh, with that. Uh, Most of us know what it is to contend in human relationships, and we have the ups and downs and the ins and outs and the in it and the not quite in it. I know, uh, you know, Beth and I have been married uh, long enough to know that that is part of the human condition, part of the relationship. I was thinking the other day, sometimes when... uh, Beth and I will end our evening dates, our Friday night dates. We, we tend to end them at Publix. And, uh, and so we now just incorporate it uh, as part of our uh, date, you know. Like when you see us and we're not talking to you, we're focusing on one another. We're on a date <laughs> on Friday night. And sometimes when we're in Publix, and I don't think Beth is uh, paying attention to me as she should... I don't know how you guys handle that, guys. Here's what I do. I start throwing random crud into the, into the cart. And uh, like if she's not looking, I'll put... The, have you ever been to Publix? They've got that 25-pound dog bone that's about this big. 
I put that in the cart. We don't have a dog, but I put that in there. I will put boxes of ding-dongs and ho-hos in there, which we don't, she doesn't let me eat. All this kind of stuff to see if, if she notices at all that I'm, I'm with her. And uh, a while back, we were together, and I was not paying attention to Beth at home like I, I should do. I know that's shocking to many people in the room. And uh, when I don't do that, Beth has her ways. And she'll walk through the room, and she'll just say random stuff that makes you know, no sense. The house is on fire. And if I don't pay attention, she'll walk through and goes, big snake on the front porch. You know, I wrecked a car. And a while back, I wasn't giving her the attention she deserved. And she walked through and she said, so I've met a guy named Rocco. He's 30, drives a Harley. And uh, he wants to take me to Wyoming. We leave tomorrow. And uh, I go, that's awesome, babe. Are we out of Raisin Bran? Like the, the tension is, is, is in the room. And uh, I think if we're honest, here's what I would tell you. Um, we can move that idea over to our relationship with God. And we can giggle sometimes. But most of us know what it is in the human dynamic when there's a part of the conversation that needs to be all in. You know, there's, a, there's those moments, right, when, when with our spouse or with our dear friend or whatever, um, we have to listen. A while back, I got a call from my best friend who was struggling. Uh, my best friend, you know, Pastor George on the West Coast, they'd gone through the hurricane, and, and we have some experience with hurricanes. And, uh, and uh, he was just struggling. And uh, typically what he'll do is, is he'll text me, and he'll, uh, he'll just say, hey, got a minute, I need to talk to you. And when he does that, I don't, that's not wanting to shoot the breeze, That's code for, I don't know what you're doing, but pick up the phone and call your best friend. And we can, we can, you know, we can feel the tension of that when we pull that over into our relationship with God. And we, and there are those moments in our relationship with God that we need to know He's there. We need to know that he hears us. Uh, We need to know that we are not alone, that we are not abandoned, and that whatever we are feeling might not accurately represent the truest idea of what is unfolding. All I'm trying to say is, right, there's just a moment when every now and again, you got to be all in. And I think Jesus recognized that. And, I, and again, I have such tremendous gratitude. I think we should all have gratitude that uh, he saw fit to share a parable and tell a story, a fictitious story, that communicates and underscores the idea that sometimes we struggle in prayer. Now, what I would tell you, if that's you this morning, here's, here's what I want you to know. Uh, I would want you to know, first of all, you're in great company 
if you've ever wrestled with the idea particularly of even unanswered prayer. Uh, Theologians have struggled with it for years, centuries, decades, whatever, and uh, they have a term that they call it, and the term for this struggle, you can impress all your friends later, is actually the word theodicy. And the word theodicy, let me show you what theodicy means. Theodicy actually means it's an attempt to justify God's goodness in the face of evil, in the face of the problem of pain, and or unanswered prayer. This is called theodicy. Uh, Live long enough, experience life long enough, we're going to wrestle with the idea of theodicy, the problem of pain in our world. I remember reading one time about Mother Teresa, and she's certainly somebody we would almost put at the top of the ladder if there's a ladder, there isn't. If there was a ladder, we'd go, man, she's kind of up there, you know. And uh, she writes uh, and mentions in a memoir where she was spending, had spent over a decade of her life in prayer many times during the day and heard and felt and sensed nothing. Nothing. Justin Welby, who is the current Archbishop of Canterbury, talking about unanswered prayer, makes this observation. He said, you know, when we struggle with unanswered prayer, we, we deal with the tension of this. If God is all loving and all present and all powerful, then he will know our needs, care for them, and deal with them. And if he does not, it is either because he does not truly love, does not know, or is not able. This is theodicy. And most of us um, will have a moment in our lives where we wrestle with this. And in fact, I believe with all my heart, this is why Jesus includes this thorny parable. Uh, For those of you that do Bible work, you know it comes on the other side of, I think, a particularly struggle-filled moment for our Lord and his disciples. There's this weird story where Jesus heals 10 people with leprosy and only one comes back to thank him. And there's this awful moment. Again, I think as a pastor, I take encouragement in that. Sometimes as a pastor, you, you lay it on the field and you walk off, you know, and you wonder. And so here's this story, and Jesus heals these people, and one comes back. And Jesus, I think in a moment of true vulnerability, says, where are the other nine? Where are they at? And right on the tail of that, he tells this story. And uh, I, I want to offer to you um, something that, We have to remember, too, Jesus knew what it was like to experience unanswered prayer. Uh, Maybe you remember the story in John chapter 17, which uh, scholars believe was in the upper room, and Jesus prays this prayer for his church, the church universal. And he says, I pray, he says in John 17, that they all may be one. We'd all be unified. I don't know about you, 
But I look right now and I think the church is the most disunified thing happening right now, it seems. Right? Uh, There was a moment uh, when he had walked across the Kidron Valley and he went down into the Garden of Gethsemane. And he asked the disciples to follow him and to pray with him. Remember that moment? And, And they fall asleep. And he goes back and he says, can you not keep watch with me for an hour? Please pray. I'm in deep anguish. And, um, and, 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 he, and he goes back and he prays. And uh, we have this, I think I put this verse in. It's Luke 22, verse 44, I believe it is. Look at this. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly because he wasn't hearing God. And his sweat was like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And he was saying, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He heard nothing. And so Jesus knew what it was like to deal with unanswered prayer. So there's a lot of company around this topic. But I think this um, parable is incredibly helpful for us, and I I want to show you how I believe it's helpful, tell you why I believe it's helpful. And I want to ask you to do something that I do sometimes, a little practice that I observe sometimes. So sometimes you guys will ask me, so how is the sausage made when you're working on a message, you know? And we have a teaching team and we work on all of this. And then what, what I encourage our, our younger pastors to do is, you know, we work on an outline and then I say, no, I want you to go spend time with the Lord and, and to work on this and get this into your soul. And a lot of times, um, my practice over the past several years has sometimes when I am preaching a passage of Scripture, I act in my mind and heart as though this is the only passage of Scripture on the subject. You see what I'm saying there? So like we don't really have any other biblical information about a topic. We just have what is in front of us. And I have found for me, it just creates a space where I can dig deeper down into the text. And when, when I do that around this text, like I, I think about this idea of prayer and the tension and the struggle with it, and I, and I say in my mind and my heart, okay, let me just see what's in here and, and act as though there's nothing else, even though there's a lot of other things we could point to and a lot of stuff that would bring us encouragement. Let me just spend some time here. Here's the first thing that I think that I see. I think, first of all, I think that this is a reminder. Jesus is reminding us that we should not give up in prayer. So if you're taking notes, I want want to encourage you around that. And this is what I think is actually going on. When I think about this, this is what I think. This The first part of this parable is about the widow. It's about the widow. It's about the widow's uh, activity. And we look at uh, Luke 18.1. Look at what this says. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said that they should always pray. So I think, first of all, here's, here's just what I want to say to us. I want to lay the tension right into the room, put it right where I think it needs to be. I think Jesus is saying that regardless of how we feel, Regardless of an outcome, regardless of the tensions in the room, prayer is a good thing. Don't give up in prayer. And then Jesus tells this fictional story. It's a desperate widow in a desperate spot seeking justice and relief and like a dog on a bone, she's not going to relent. 
And some of us know what this feels like. And here's what I really think is the lesson around this. We have a role to play in prayer. We have to do our part in prayer. This is super important. We're supposed to pray, uh, which in the Christian spiritual world is akin to trust. And our job is to trust that he is God, we are not. Prayer reminds us of this, and so our part, this part of the story is intended to remind us that we should do our part in prayer. And here's what I think is really fascinating about this. Jesus is presupposing that all of us are going to come to moments and places in our lives when we don't want to do that. And we can't see beyond the veil to see what is happening and what is going on. And that is part of what's going on. I remember early in my ministry um, studying the life of Jesus and learning how often the scriptures actually say of our Lord how often he went off to solitary places to pray. And sometimes I look at that and I think maybe maybe the capacity for him to step into and do and experience and all of that, some of the mystery of that is that the reality of the fact that Jesus was always going away to pray. And this is what he's saying. I want you to pray. Don't give up on prayer. I want to show you a picture of a, a, a man, and then I'll tell you a quick story about him. This is Dwight L. Moody. And Dwight L. Moody was um, uh, born into a family of means and uh, was somebody that was, uh, in many ways, his family would have said, predestined to just take over the family business. I think it was um, a leather goods and shoes and making products like that. And uh, God called him into the ministry. And uh, he accepted God's call into the ministry. But prior to that, he was pretty far from God. This is not something that is widely known. But I wanted to share with you um, a story, uh, a, a comment that Dwight L. Moody's Sunday school class teacher said of him when he first showed up to Sunday school. Listen to this. He says, I can truly say, this is uh, Edward Kimball, who is a Sunday school teacher. I can truly say, and in saying it, I magnify the infinite grace God has bestowed upon him, that I have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than was his when he came into my Sunday school class. And I think that the committee of the Mount Vernon Church seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely to ever become a Christian of clear and decided views of the gospel, still less to fill any extended sphere of public usefulness than Dwight L. Moody. That's a ringing endorsement of a human being. And this guy became this phenomenal impact a generation back for the cause of the gospel. Near the end of Dwight L. Moody's life, um, he revealed that um, over the course of his life, he kept a list going of the hundred people in his circumference, family or 
friends or others that had not come to faith in Jesus and he prayed over the list every day. And at his funeral, 90, by the time he got to his funeral, 96 of those individuals had said yes to faith in Christ. And at his funeral, the other four said yes to faith in Christ. He never stopped praying. And one of the tensions that I think of that, it's interesting to consider, is that... Um, he didn't see the fruition of all those prayers because he went to heaven. It's an idea and a reminder simply that we are to pray. Here's the other side of this. I think the other thing that that's saying is this. It's telling us not to give up on prayer. And Jesus, in telling the parable, if we go back to Luke 18, verse 1, notice what he says here. Again, we're going to act like this is all we got on prayer. And Jesus told his disciples a parable, so this is his intention, to show them that they should always pray. And then he says this, and not give up. And I think the challenge that Jesus is saying here is simply this. Don't give up on prayer. This part of the parable, for those that are interested, is about the judge, the the ungodly judge. The first part of the parable, I think, is about the widow. The second part of the parable is about the judge. And it's appealing to the judge's character. It's appealing to the judge's integrity. It's appealing to what it is that moves the heart of this ungodly judge to do what he will do for this woman who is not going to give up. And uh, I think this is a, a very challenging parable because when we get to this, we understand and are faced to deal with the idea and the struggle of un- unanswered prayer. And what's in the room, I hear it, I feel it. What, do we, what happens when we do all that and nothing seems to happen? I have been greatly influenced in recent years by the work of Pete Grieg. Uh, Pete Grieg has uh, written a lot of books uh, on prayer. He's the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement. I had the privilege of meeting him a few years back. And uh, Pete has written great books on prayer. One is um, How to Pray. We've taught a series around that. Um, uh, he wrote a book called How to Hear God. And, and a book that he read... Uh, or that he wrote uh, just a few years back that was super powerful for many of us and some of us in our church as we were wrestling with this topic uh, related to some things that were happening in our circle of friends um, was a book entitled God on Mute. And Pete gives a lot of reasons for unanswered prayer and a lot of them come up under four categories. And for those of you that are interested, I want to touch on them. And Pete says a lot of things that we could say about prayer. The first one, he said, when it's, we deal with unanswered prayer, he said we have to deal with the subject of what he calls um, God's world. And God's world um, really sets up the idea, and what we're thinking of here is the idea that God has set a world in motion. And out of his sovereignty, uh, he usually lets the world work in the motions that he's created. Like um, gravity is a thing. Like if you jump off a building, 
you're going to be introduced to the ground. <laughs> and, uh, and so really what, what he's dealing with here is this subject of God's world. It, it has to deal with God's sovereignty and the way that he set things up. I was thinking about this because right now today, here's what I imagine. Somewhere in the world, uh, there is a bride who's going to get married today. And what do you think she's praying for? She's praying for a beautiful day. Lord, don't let it rain. Right? Anybody, anybody pray prayer like that? And in that same town is a farmer. <laughs> what is he praying? For rain. How does God answer that prayer? Uh, many of you all know my wife's uh, family's a farmer, uh, are farmers. And uh, when I've shared the story a million times, we, we went out there and every time they have a meal and they pray at the end of the prayer, they, they, they pray, please send rain. That's an honest prayer. And the first time I was out there, I thought they were saying peace and rain. And so when, when it was my turn to pray, I got through and I said, peace and rain. And my father-in-law looked at Beth like, you're marrying a moron. Who, who is this guy? But um, it, it appeals to God's, there's like a world. Now, here's what we know as followers of Christ. God will sometimes act outside of the way of his created order. That's what a miracle is. It's mysterious. It happens. It doesn't happen every time. But it does happen. And when he breaks that, that's what's called a miracle. But God's world is there. Then, then there's another thing when we think about going at this difficult idea, and it's this idea of God's war. Now, we've been talking about this. We've actually been talking in our church about the work of the enemy to thwart prayer, to break stuff down, to create distance. I, I know the first weekend I talked about this subject and this topic, people were like, oh my gosh, we've lost our mind. Now we're going to talk about it's going to get all weird. And, you know, I thought it was interesting. I found this quote by C.S. Lewis. Look at this. One of the brightest minds of the last century, 20th century, said this. One of the things that surprised me, he said, when I first read the New Testament seriously, was that it talks so much about a dark power in the universe, a mighty evil spirit who is held to be the power behind death, disease, and sin. It's all over the New Testament. And at some point, here's what we have to do as followers of Jesus. We have to broaden our minds. We have to step into this understanding that we, we might be in the middle of a love story between God and humanity, but the love story is set against the backdrop of a war zone. You and I are living in a war zone. And we do well to remember that. And so this is, this is what happens. If you go back a slide to God's war, this, this is what we have to, to do. And, and I'm going to say, because I love God, I want to not miss the moment to say this. Sometimes God gets blamed for things he didn't do. And we need to be aware of that. Now, thirdly, um, why does prayer go answer, unanswered, is something that's called um, God's will. And um, sometimes when we pray, the answer is no. It just is. 
I remember when uh, our girls were little, and uh, Beth still says this, they, they don't have to be little, she will tell you after church, I, I have a hard time saying no to my girls. I just do. Um, if it's reasonable, and it makes sense, and it's uh, not too expensive, <laughs> I, I, I want to be in on that. Uh, but when they would ask competing things, there's a winner and a loser. And uh, every now and again, I think it's the role of a good parent every now and again to say no. Um, but I, what I find sometimes that's embedded in our, in our current culture is every time it, in prayer when it takes too long or it doesn't seem to take at all, uh, we assume God has said no. That might not be every time. So it's calling for some discernment on our part. That's a hard one, but it has to be mentioned. There's one more, and it's called God's reign. Um, in fact, all week long I was thinking, I know what I'm going to do when I get on this stage. I'm going to say God's will, God's war, God's will, and God's wane. <laughs> I just knew I was... So I'm getting that out now, so I won't mess this up. <laughs> here's, what God's, here's what God's reign is. You, know, you don't want to know what God's reign is? It's this idea. He has answered the prayer, but the prayer involves eternity. And our prayers often are thought of only in terms of earth. And when you accept an invitation into the life of God, you are accepting an invitation that would challenge you to believe that what's on the other side of earth is better than what is on earth. And actually this, it's more real than what we're currently experiencing. Theologian N.T. Wright says it this way. Listen how he says it. It's the best good news. It's not just good news. It's the best good news. And, and there's coming a day when we will get to eternity and we will see how the prayers have been answered. This is an interesting thing to consider because here's what I want everybody to know. We're taking a step in today, obviously. Here's what I want everybody to know. Um, God doesn't ignore this tension. Even in eternity, uh, we are told that he will show us all of our tears that have been stored for eternity. That's not a God who doesn't want to deal with the difficulty of the topics in our lives. That's a God who's holding them right on the bottom shelf. And, and, and so when we pray, we have to pray with this understanding that there's this eternal thing out there. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I... You know, here's, here's what I was thinking about. Um, 
If you look at all four of those, maybe we can put them up there. I, I, I thought this is, um, this is helpful. The tension is there's no universal answer. The tension is there's enormous emotion. The tension is all of us will experience this, or we know someone who is wrestling with it. And Jesus ends the parable, y'all, with this. So this is where I'll end it. He just says this. He says, um, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will you remain? Will you continue? Will you um, hold on? Will you trust when your heart is broken? or the heart of someone you care for is broken. And live long enough, all of us will have our hearts broken. I don't know about you, but I'm just saying in my own heart and in my own life, Lord, I want to trust. Remember that parable with the disciples when uh, everybody was leaving Jesus and and Jesus turns to him in a real moment of vulnerability and says, hey, are you going to leave too? You know, I mean, here's our Lord. Look, everybody's abandoning. You leaving too? And remember how the disciples respond? You know, Lord, um, where would we go? Where would we go? You hold the keys of eternal life. That's the prayer, I think, of a mature and maturing follower of Jesus. You hold the keys, Lord, and so I'm going to remain. Lord, I pray for all of my friends uh, listening online and here in the room, and we're in these places of struggle and humanity. I just pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would um, find faith on the earth that you would restore our trust in you even where we struggle and that you would give us over to deeper thoughts and deeper vision about this world, how it works, and where you meet us in these middle spaces. For we pray in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Lord, I want to pray uh, for all of our team, all of our church, all of our people, all of our campuses. And God, I pray that you would uh, give us a faith that endures, that you would remind us, Lord, uh, deep in our heart, that you love us, that you care for us, that you have not abandoned us, that you will make all things right, and that you give us a spirit to prevail in that. Lord, pour out your encouragement on your people. Fill in the thin spaces of our minds and our hearts because you're good and you're kind. I ask that for every single person hearing my voice. For we pray together in Jesus' name and everybody said, I want to remind you, of course, we have folks that would pray for you here. I want to remind everybody at 6.30, we'll be at our West Palm campus tonight. Go in God's mercy and His grace. We'll see you next weekend.